0: I'm Marcus Brown, this is a Runner's Life podcast. This is the platform for richer conversations that explore the person behind the runner. I discuss the topics that influence us as runners locally, whilst concurrently connecting us to the wider global community. If you found value in the show, please subscribe and share with your community on social media and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform selected as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hey Shah, welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you getting on?
1: Yeah, uh, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Marcus.
0: It's great to have you on the show. I know we know each other from Instagram. We've met a couple of times before, but um, like I said earlier before, it's going to be great to have a proper conversation because the thing about being in in the running community sometimes is that we're running, so uh, the conversations can be a little bit fleeting. So uh, it's good to actually sit down and talk with you.
1: Yeah, same here. I'm I'm actually looking forward to it because I think the times that we've met has been quite fleetingly, except once I think it was when we had a chat with you last year on the campaign uh, that we were running on mental health. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: As you said, we spoke a bit about mental health and you've been a big advocate. So that's one of the touch points I want to talk upon in this uh, interview. First, before we get there, I want to talk about your running. Uh, now, you're aware obviously, the, the current situation with COVID-19. Um, can you sort of tell us what was your last race and uh, what was the lesson that you learned about yourself from it?
1: My last one was a half marathon in Amsterdam. Uh, in October last year, 2019, and that was off the back of running the marathon in September in Moscow, uh, which was my, my last marathon so far. Uh, that's tw- my 20th. But I think when I ran Amsterdam, what did I learn about myself? I, I learned that you, think that you can u- lose your fitness pretty quick after a marathon, because I think it was literally like three weeks afterwards. And uh, after the, the marathon in Moscow, I just started treating myself, I love sugar, so donuts, cakes, chocolates, you name it, just eating unhealthy, because I'm not in training mode, and I was just going to run Amsterdam just for fun, but then when I got there, a friend of mine, Iona, who's from my running community at Track East, uh, she wanted to, she was training for Athens, and she wanted to run a certain time, I think it was, she wanted to said, let's run around the 140 mark, and I thought, yeah, that's fine, yeah, we'll do that. And then she, obviously she was at peak of her training, like literally weeks away from her math And then I was three weeks out of my math and I hadn't done much running and I thought I'd be fine. Uh, so yeah, I sort of learned that you you need to be disciplined. Um, so disciplines what you need when you're running and if you're going to race, you know, you've got to be prepared. So preparation is, is the key uh, for a good race. So I ran it and, first five 10k was great we was keeping up the pace and then Iona was feeling obviously really strong and she was like sort of spinning ahead a little bit still on the pace we needed but maybe a bit faster but because I was struggling a bit I um I noticed it even though it was probably only a few seconds so definitely preparation and discipline is what I learned from my last race
0: it's amazing we talk about our last races because in the current situation, we don't know when races are going to return. So sometimes I like a little bit of you know nostalgia, regret, um longing to go back. So I think once we do race again, it's going to be uh, definitely an emotional thing. And do you think you'll be uh, more prepared for the next time round?
1: Yeah, I think generally speaking, if I'm actually going for a race and I want to get a specific time, for example, I am fairly disciplined. Um, and going back to the race I ran with Iona, I wasn't really going for a time. I guess when I got there, I got ahead of myself. And even though I hadn't ran properly for three weeks, I thought, yeah, I can do that time. Because, you know, my my, my personal best for half is one twenty nine, which I actually got last year in Barcelona. So I thought one forty, yeah. But it's not as simple as that. You know, you, you need to be prepared and disciplined and ready on race day. But I guess for my next race... Um, you know, I'm a bit of, um, I don't know, can you call me a veteran? Because I've run so, much, so many races. Um, I'm 47 years old, by the way, just for the listeners so they know. Um, I, I hope I will be prepared. And I, I always do prepare for a race in my best way. And generally speaking, I, I come out okay in my races, but not always.
0: Yeah. And running is a big part of your life. And you're part of the Running Collective uh, random crew. Can you talk us through how you joined this uh, running collective and what it means to be part of this running uh, community?
1: Absolutely. Um, Probably one of the highlights of my running, um, highlights of my life even, is joining Run Them Crew. And it all happened by accident, really. I think it was... I have to go back a little bit because I first started running in 2006. Um, I was working in the media industry uh leading an unhealthy lifestyle a lot of drinking eating unhealthily smoking and a friend of mine justin brown he's a really good friend of mine uh he turned around and he said to me hey look you know we're always drinking and eating loads and we're we're, in our 30s so we better get fit and healthy otherwise we're going to end up like those guys that you see that have got pot bellies and and bald heads we don't want to go that way. You know, like when you're at a certain age, you're like, I don't want to look that way. Um, you know, not discrediting those people, but just it was just a thing for us to galvanise ourselves. And I said to him, a marathon? You're mad. I'm not running a marathon. Um, done like a 5K with him, done a 10K. And it was a London marathon. And we did it for charity at the time for animal welfare charity. And so we, we trained together and we ran that. But we trained together. And I still remember to this day, We'd run an 18-miler in Victoria Park. Yep. Uh So, so many laps of that park. So many loops, yeah. And on a Sunday, and then we'd go to Shoreditch to the jam bar to watch the football in the afternoon. We're avid football fans. He's a gooner. I'm a Liverpool fan. And we'd probably end up drinking seven, eight pints. So, uh, all that hard work of training and then smoke a packet a pack of cigarettes. Uh, that was our training plan. <laughs> <laughs> so... Train hard and play hard uh, was the name of the game for me and Justin for our first marathon. But we trained really well and we, we did okay in terms of getting to the start line. But then, then when we ran the marathon, we thought we were, I don't know, heroes. We thought we were like invincible. So from the start line in Greenwich, we're like, let's just overtake everyone. Uh, so we overtook as many people as we could until Tower Bridge. That's the halfway mark, as you're, you're, you're familiar with. As we turned right out. After the Tower bridge, that was it. you know his I think he had a bit of a problem with his knee. Uh, we saw St. John's ambulance, they gave him some vaseline, then we sort of struggled to uh, Canary Wharf, which is around mile eighteen and then from there, I struggled because then I got an injury and I think because we was running in and out of everybody on the curbs and just trying to get past everyone, yeah. that was our undoing because in training, you don't do that; you just run in a straight line and you might go through a few people in Victoria Park on your long runs. But on race day, we was doing something that we our body wasn't used to. And, yeah, we, we hobbled over the line at about just over four and a half hours. And three years later, did it again in Stockholm and done exactly the same thing. Anyway, then I, I stopped running. And I know I'm sort of going a bit long-winded to answer your question. I'll, I'm coming to that. So then 2009, went to Stockholm, trained well. But then done exactly the same thing, tried to run too fast. And then I didn't run a marathon for five six years came to around yeah. 2015 was the next time around a marathon and i actually picked up running again in around 2013 2014 that's when i started running again and tried to undo the wrongs of yesteryear uh, so training a bit more disciplined i was actually leading a more healthier lifestyle by then as well um, so like wasn't really smoking wasn't thinking as much uh, nutrition, I, I, I sort of learned and educated myself about nutrition as as well, so my, my weight was at a good, good place as well, and so I was running and training, and I think around 2013, 2014, I was just training myself up, I ran Hackney half, I think 2014 was the first Hackney half marathon, and so I ran that year, two half marathons, one in Hackney, one in Stockholm, and then the following year, 2015, I pencilled in Paris marathon. And around the time of Paris Marathon, I met a friend called Aaron in London Fields in Hackney. He was putting on an event. He had a company called Backyard Social, and it was just doing social events in public places or for the public. And they were playing this Swedish chess game where you had to throw these sticks down. And I, I was there, I met this, I was with some girl and we went to the park and we saw this game they were playing. We went and we got involved. Aaron came over, he said hi, and we just sort of, became friends from there we swapped instagram addresses as you do these days and then you know within weeks you could see i was running a lot and he'd message me uh you know see me at the gym see me running and he saw how much i was running and he would say you need to come to run Dem," and i'm like looking and thinking what's Rundem? what's that and so you know i had no idea of the running community in in 2015 um so I went and checked online and I saw this page really curated nicely with all these runners fit people and I'm like wow that is looks amazing these guys are like proper runners um how am I going to fit in there so I I I messaged Aaron back I said look I've just done the Paris marathon I'm training for November we are going to do Athens let me like Get super fit. Let me feel good about myself and get a good time. And then I'll then I'll come and check, check you out. And I'll see what this random cruise is about. So I was a bit worried that I were not going to be good enough to be part of that. Yeah. Um, so then I ran my Athens race, got in touch with me, said, look, I'm ready now. And I went over. And it was a pretty intimidating place when I got there. Uh, for the first few weeks, didn't speak to that many people. But straight away, I realized there was a sense of community there. And that's the great thing about Rundim Crew, it's it's very inclusive, Uh, it's quite metropolitan, great mix of people from all backgrounds. It's led by Charlie Dark, who's uh, a poet, um, former sort of musician, but still DJs, so he's a DJ as well, and he does a lot of stuff for for the community in terms of going to schools and and helping young kids, creating projects, as well as the running community. He started that out about 13, 14 years ago, and... Yeah, when I when I got there, it was at Nike, 1948 in Bateman's Row in Shoreditch. There's about 150 people there, and that's why it was so intimidating for me. I guess being going into an environment and you don't know anyone. Alan took me in there and he said, "This is one them crew." And then obviously everyone's speaking to one another because they know each other, but yep. no one knew who I was, so I had to obviously make myself known, which I I did over the coming weeks uh, and and months, and then I sort of settled into that that community and. It's been four and a half years now. I've been part of, one of them crew and I've made many friends and I've learned a lot about the running community in London and overseas.
0: It's amazing to hear your experiences. And, um, you know, you talk about it being quite uh, intimidating from the outside, but obviously once you spoke to people, it was fine. And I think one of my big things is, for me personally, is that one of the reasons why people say, why do you run solo so much is because I think I still feel a little bit intimidated By going to uh, groups and things like that, so I know I said to you previously, like I'm gonna come down, but I'm like such an introvert, so um, I think I need to definitely break that when uh, you know COVID is COVID is over and uh, come down and see what it's all about.
1: Absolutely, I recommend it. Um, Even though it felt intimidating when I first got there, what I soon realised is it's a safe space where you can be yourself, and no matter your background you know no matter you know your sexual orientation race color etc everybody is welcome you know warmly welcome and if i look back if i had to describe it in one word other than it being a community i say it's like an extended family um i really do look at those people like my brothers and sisters and yeah i I love all everyone there and it's, it's been for me it's enhanced my life so i would definitely recommend you come down there
0: why do you run now and um how have that changed from when you started?
1: That's a great question. Um, so when I first started running, like seriously running, when I was a teenager, you know, we all run, play football, et cetera. Well, I did anyway in the East End of Hackney uh, growing up. That's what it was all about, watching the football, the, the Division One, which became the Premier League. Um, but when I started running in 2006, yeah, as I, I mentioned earlier, it was about fitness, uh, health, uh, concerns about i might become overweight and get old before my time you know it, it sounds crazy but that was the reality <laughs> I was trying to predict the future and I didn't want that future to be my my future uh but fast forward on uh to the present day and if i ask you know lots happened since 2006 that's 14 years ago um now i run for um to when i when I go for a run i troubleshoot any issues or stresses or anxieties I have about situations in my life, in my business, uh, even in my friendships, I I just go on a long run and I, I try and work it out. And also, it's that endorphins that you get, um, and it makes you feel good. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know much what else to say, other than it's a great feeling when you go for a run, even if you you get up and because I I run a lot of races and in a way, I think my my biggest why is probably um, running for, to solve my problems in my life and the issues that I have. Yeah. So troubleshooting is is probably the main reason and and health and fitness too.
0: You've run uh, globally in various races. Um, Can you sort of share your favorite running uh, achievements?
1: Okay, uh, that's going to be pretty difficult. But if I can share a few, then obviously, then then that'll be that makes it easier. Yeah. Um, one one of my most memorable was Athens marathon. So that was my second comeback marathon after 2006 and 2009. So I'd ran Paris in 2015 in April. Uh, fast forward to November 2015, like six months or so later. Um, so, me and my friend Justin, who I mentioned earlier, we, we've signed up for that marathon for Athens. And we didn't know at the time, when we signed up, that the course was uphill for the majority of the the first two thirds of the race, if not more. Um, so, we're just like training normal, and then we look into it, and we're like, we've got like a month and a half or two months to go, and we realize it's going to be uphill uh, for the majority of the, like I said, the, the first two thirds. Uh, so we, we just prepared the best we could towards the end. I used to go to Primrose Hill, running up and down that hill uh, to try and get those those hills in. And then when we get to Athens, we met this guy at the expo. Uh, what was his name now? Pavlos, that's it. We met Pavlos at the pasta party. And we, we sat down with him. He's a local, obviously. And we're saying to him, we didn't realise until a couple of months ago that this uh, marathon was going to be uphill. Uh, as a local what tips do you have? Because he said he'd run it uh, numerous times and he was actually leading yep. the blind runner uh, the next day. Uh, so he was doing a great deed. Uh, we asked him, how, how should we approach this marathon? I had no idea. I've run three marathons and two of them obviously ran all wrong, as I mentioned to you before. Uh, and I'm saying to this guy, what do we do? And he said, for the first two thirds of the race, run your race, hold something back. The last 10K is downhill. You don't want to get to your downhill and have nothing left. You want to have something in reserve. So just, just hold something back. Go steady, but don't go too fast. Um, so we got to – we jumped on the bus the morning of the, the race. It took us from Athens to Athens City. We got there. We got out of the coach. There's some Olympic flame there just to sort of um, – show that this is like the original birthplace of the marathon, Marathon City. Um, I'm not sure if you know the story um, about, um, I can't remember the, the guy's name, it's in the folklore where a guy runs from Marathon City to Athens to say the war is over with one. And he dies so that's, that's the journey. That's the journey you take. So yeah. uh, I'm sorry if I haven't done a great job of telling that story. Um, yeah, he
0: died at the end, that guy, didn't he? That's basically not, not what you want to do <laughs> for the marathon. It, we got exactly. the message delivered though. He got the message yeah. there.
1: <laughs> and yeah, exactly got the message there yeah sorry thanks for re- reminding me of that part uh so then when we got there and we saw that we're like this is fantastic and then we sort of went into the race area where everyone's hanging out and warming up and getting ready now these uh greek people are different breed they're all smoking cigarettes and drinking black coffees uh me and justin's looking at each other and we're like you know 10 years ago that was probably us uh but probably not before a race smoking cigarettes but these guys were on it i'm like my yeah. god how are they going to run this race uh but you know it's quite hot it's already warm it's around 19 20 degrees in the morning and then we set off uh, uh for the marathon on the start line as we start off the first five six k is pretty flat and you've got all the greek locals around the sides of the roads uh, cheering you on, screaming. They're all so passionate about this historic race that that you're running, and they're handing out these um, oh, what do you call them? These um, these sort of reefs that you you can put around your head or around okay. your arm. Uh, and we're like, wow, this is amazing. And you know, I think someone put one around my arm as well, and I'm like, this is great. Obviously, I didn't have it for the whole race because it got a bit annoying in the end. Uh, so they're like cheering feverly around and then we sort of hit a tarmac and like now you're on the, on the main road and they're just running and running and running and me and Justin, we remembered the advice of Pav- Pavlos, which was to, to stay steady, to take it easy, don't push too hard too early. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I think it must have been around 10 miles or so. And then we started finding ourselves going through these um, little towns, almost felt like villages. And where you were first on the wide roads, all of a sudden these wide roads have sort of shrunk in and you're going through these sort of narrow sort of dirt streets through these towns and villages. And the reason why they're narrow is not because they're narrow streets, it's because all the crowds have sort of just sort of pushed in because they want to get close to the runner. And, all yeah. the, and then they've got all these kids lined up at the front of, of these crowds putting their hands out and you're just giving them high fives along the way and i just had this massive smile on my face face running through all these different towns and, and villages uh, and it was just such a great experience I'll, I'll never forget that and it just i just i just felt something in me saying this this is great this is fantastic and also it's like the race that I've, i'm running a really good race without going crazy like i've done in my past races and then when we got to the final 10K, like you sort of start going down this hill and through this tunnel, uh, and there's someone guy in there, beating the drum, and then me and Justin are just cruising along. And then we got all these guys slowing down on our right-hand side. We're just like cruising past, saying, Bravo, come on, guys, you can do this. And I think we looked at each other and we sort of, I think we both mentally said to ourselves, they probably ran too hard on the uphill and they've got nothing left. And that's why these guys are now obviously suffering. Lucky we had Pavlos, our guardian angel, that told us what to do, and yeah, we we completed the race. Uh, you sort of come into the Panathenaicon uh, Olympic Stadium. Uh, it's got this black sort of rubber along along the the outside of the course, and then it's just like a massive marble stadium with the sun sort of gleaming down on you. And yeah, it almost felt like doing a somersault, <laughs> like a a sort of turnover. Uh, at the finish line I felt so happy I was just like jumping for joy Uh, and I couldn't believe after a marathon I was jumping for joy over the finish line it was just such a great feeling so that is definitely one of my best highlights of running a marathon Um, I think other than that obviously running London Marathon in your hometown amazing experience I've had the pleasure of doing that three times and I I guess New York as well the, the passion you get from the, the screaming spectators throughout the course, running through the five boroughs. Um, I still remember going through one of the boroughs. I'm not sure which one it was. And they had a gospel choir and they're just sort of singing along. And you're like, what a feeling. Like every borough you went through gave you a different perspective. They tried to show you, you know, who they were. And you got a piece of that that borough when you, when you ran through. So definitely New York. So I think they're probably my top three sort of, races that sit in my mind uh, out yep.
0: of 20 marathons that i've run oh thanks for sharing that and also like random crew have got their spot in the towards the end of a uh, london marathon as well so that's a, a great sort of i pick you up for you know the runners coming through and i completely agree with you about new york it's just incredible you know the atmosphere the music uh, the people really make it and uh, you really feel part of the city part of the whole experience um know as you you make your way to the finish um and also though I've not run Athens myself but you know it's it's got such history to it and you see so many photos of the the finish so uh, it looks amazing and maybe one day I think the thing only thing that pits me off slightly is like you say it's the upwards um for like 20 20 odd miles but like you say like if you pace yourself correctly um you should be fine as you get to the final 10k as long as you don't uh Go too crazy in the first yeah, few months.
1: Absolutely, I think it's key uh, for that race to, to pace yourself correctly in the in, in the sort of beginning middle parts of that race and sort of save something for the end.
0: Absolutely, and as you're aware, the current situation of running that we find ourselves in, we've obviously got COVID nineteen, which means that we can't run races and things are paused. But also, uh, there's discussions coming up about race and identity um, from the uh, killing of Ahmad Albury, and recently George Floyd as well. There's been a lot of, you know, discussions about race and identity within the running community and wider society. I mean, what are your initial thoughts on that?
1: Okay, so, you know, my background is uh, my parents are from Pakistan. They emigrated here in the 60s. I was born in 1973 in, in Hackney, East London. And yeah, quite an underprivileged area at the time. It's sort of hipsterville nowadays. But growing up there, it was it was tough. It was a it was a tough upbringing for me. So when all of this sort of sparked off a few weeks ago ago, I think Armand Aubrey was the guy um, in the states who got shot while he was out for a run. And and then there was some other issues in the in the park where a, a guy was facing a woman with a dog in Central Park in New York. And she was going to call the cops on him, and then, literally, I think it was the same day George Floyd, you know, he 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 was murdered by police police brutality as well. And I think for me it was like, first of all, it was like shock, horror, disappointment, anger, um, helplessness as well. It's like, what can I do? But then, you know, having some conversations with my friends over the weekend, uh, just gone, it was, it's sort of took me back to my childhood and what I went through um, and I, I've got a lot of black friends growing up and even now and it was like the guy, the guys at the time, my friends, I could see how they were treated and how I was treated even though I was, you know, I had racial abuse when I was young, it was nothing like my black friends, you know, they had it worse off than me and I don't know, what did I, how did I feel? It's, it's hard to sort of describe other than I just like, I feel like I need to do something. I need to make a difference. And I think we're all, all part of the problem in society. We all live together on this planet and we can all do something to improve the situation. Um, but yeah, initial my thoughts were, were disappointment and anger that this in this day and age, we still have to live through this and see this happen to our brothers and sisters.
0: The subject is uncomfortable to talk about, but I think these conversations need to be had. Um but i think often you know sometimes people uh, don't want to say the wrong things so things aren't said
1: yeah it's, it's quite obvious that there's a lot of people are confused uh, you know they want to help um like they're not sure what they can do and they're probably afraid to do something because it might be the wrong thing and you know I, I don't have all the answers of course i don't i don't think anyone has all the answers but i think collectively we can come to some answers And what I did, you know, I'm still educating myself, even as a brown person. And I think it's important uh, for everyone to educate themselves uh, because we can all do something to to make something positive. Like I feel with anything that happens in in the world, you know, any any bad sort of situations or events, there's an opportunity. And right now we have an opportunity. And I was reading some Martin Luther quotes in the last few days uh, just to see how it was back then remind myself of of, you know what was going on in the 60s and how they sort of overcame certain barriers Um, and some of those quotes most of those quotes are still relevant and stand true today and I'm like we haven't really moved that much further um, in terms of a lot of the quotes and the sayings on there but I was trying to look at some positive quotes too, to see what can we take from here and some learnings and how we can apply that to our lives. And one of the quotes in there was, it went something like, "If I cannot do great things, I can do something small but in a great way." And I think for the people that are out there that want to do, want to help, I think that's what they can potentially do: is do something small but in a great way, rather than trying to do something. You know, quite big. It's not about how big it is. What you want to do is about it being meaningful and from the heart. And just a small thing that you can do. You know, introspection is a great thing to do. Look within yourself and within your circles of family, friends, colleagues. And you know, if, if you hear, see, experience something, speak up. Stand shoulder to shoulder with, with your black friends. Uh, I think that's important. And checking in, checking in with your black friends is important too. Asking them how they are um how how it's affected them but not going over the top um and like i said i'm not an expert on this topic and i'm still learning myself but i think it's trying to do the little things right you know can go a long way to sort of repairing some of this damage that we have had for a long time in society and it's going to continue for a long time but we can make a difference and start changing attitudes
0: and like you said it's uh starting from where we are having those conversations with uh, those close to us pulling people up on certain things challenging our own biases Uh, but you know this is wider than running and uh, it's going to take a lot of work really so um, but you know these conversations need to happen it's going to take some time
1: absolutely and I think we're fortunate enough uh fortunate enough to be in certain communities like run crew which is run by charlie dark and, and you know he, he's a black member of society and he, he's a very fair man and and he talks and he tries to support us in the community you know we're, like i mentioned before we're metropolitan at run crew and charlie understands how to deal with these situations better than most people because he's obviously suffered himself throughout throughout his life he's, he's 50 years 50 years old this year and um, we was on a Zoom call earlier, actually, and it's housekeeping that we do on the Tuesday, normally in person in Brixton Street Gym in Brixton, um, but we brought it online, and he still talks to the people, and you know he cares a lot, and he cares about how people are feeling, he tries to guide them the right way, you know what can you do, what you should do, and, and what you shouldn't do is just follow people blindly, is his words, if you see people doing things online, and you see it's positive, but you need to look at yourself and feel, do I actually agree with that? And if you do, great. But it's not about just following the herd. It's about doing something that you believe in and that can make a difference. And I think that's a key message uh, for everybody, including myself.
0: You've spoken about Charlie being a you know, big influence. I mean, what's the biggest lessons that he's uh, taught you or you've learned from him from the time that you spent with him?
1: Okay. Uh, I think, personally, the biggest lessons I've learned from Charlie are about inclusivity so obviously i joined his community of run them crew and it's an inclusive community so anything i try to do in my life i try to make it inclusive whether that if i'm organizing a run try and make it inclusive if i'm putting on an event you know with be more you for example make it inclusive anything that i do it's about being conscious of what you're doing and and are you including everybody And, and i think i think that's key uh other things that i've learned from charlie are to be yourself be authentic check in with people if people if you haven't seen people for a while check in with them and this is from a mental health perspective in a sense as well where some people in large groups sometimes they get uncomfortable things might not be going well in their life so then they might just sort of disappear and you need to check in with people that you you normally see every week and now you're not seeing them for like a couple of months. You need to check in to see how they are. Even like people that get injured on the running journey. I think once they get injured, they don't get to run every week. So they don't have that sort of feeling that you have running with your friends and and your, your community and needing the need to check in with one another. So I think there's some of the key takeaways that I've learned from Charlie and yeah. And I'm still, I'm still learning every day. I'm still part of that community.
0: There's some great lessons there. And, uh, you're a big advocate for mental health online and in your line of work, which we'll get on Um, uh, But firstly, I mean, you've been very open about sharing your experiences with anxiety on Instagram. Uh, you've spoken about the pressure that you've put yourself to succeed, um, which you have done, uh, but you're still left uh, fit with the feeling that it wasn't enough. Can you sort of talk us um, through this and where did this feeling come from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, the reason why I think we're derived from was I'm just going to go back into my my career a little bit so I started in digital media in 1999 I spent 16 years to 2015 in that industry so as you can imagine the first few years I'm getting to know the industry how it works and you know by year three four five I'm pretty accomplished in the industry I was was sort of in a sales role by then so I'm selling um online marketing and creative services to the biggest brands that are out there, you know, in, in, you know, globally, nationally. And and I was good at what I did and I had a lot of good clients. Uh, so it wasn't hard for me to win business and it was, I, I was pretty successful. And then around 2015, I decided that I wanted a change. Um, you know, I was into my running, into my fitness. I learned a lot about nutrition, about yoga, a bit about meditation. And like I mentioned to you earlier, but my lifestyle wasn't that healthy, smoking, drinking. And that was also partly due, not just my behavior, but partly due to the, my environment of being in media. It was all about let's go out, let's celebrate wins. Friday nights, let's have a drink, Saturday nights, let's have a drink. Um, So it's always a lot of drinking and and enjoyment. And when I learned about health, living a healthier lifestyle, uh, and I sort of reaped the benefits of that. And that was around 2009 is when I started on that journey because I left my existing company and started my own business in 2009 in digital media. And I had a bit more income so I could afford to join the gym and have a PT and learn about nutrition and then explore like the other areas I mentioned, like meditation, for example, and yoga, et cetera. And so then I was on that journey for like four or five years and then I realized at a point, I'm like, all this time I've been selling to society a lifestyle, which which is great. You know, I enjoyed my journey, but it's not necessarily what everybody needs. And do I want to define myself as that? Is that me? Is that my life? And I shook my head. I said, no, it's not. Um, I think I'm I'm done here. But what am I going to do next? And I thought, well, with the health and wellness, the stuff I've learned and being in this sort of Um, environment for the last six years through my gym and all the people I've met, I want to work in this area. I want to probably go back to the companies I've worked with in the past and show them there's a way to enhance that corporate lifestyle, culture and environment. So I set up um, a company called Run Yoga Run with Aaron, a friend of mine, and then about a year later, I sort of switched that up to the wellness movement and we sort of parted ways. And one of my first missions was to you know, go back to my old company, and show them what I'd learned, uh, so I basically, that, that's how that journey began, in, in, into wellness, and I started that company up, and it's all about mental health, about nutrition, um, also physical activities, and, and meditation, and recreational activities, so I went back, and I planned a wellness week for them, I said, look, this is part of the reason why I did this, was because of you know, the lifestyle that I was leading. And also I just feel that organizations can do more for the well being of their staff. And, you know, we've done a great week of being for them and, and it turned out fantastically well. And I just went on from there. But the problem I had was it wasn't all great. It wasn't all fantastic. It was, I'd get a win, like a new client on board. And then I'm looking around who's next, who's next. Because I was used to winning lots of campaigns in my media days. And now I'm now like, how do I get more clients? But, you know, maybe the company I worked with be- worked with before, now they work with me once. I was like, everyone doesn't know who I am, everyone's not gonna give me a chance. And I just started feeling anxiety, stress, because I was asking a lot for myself. So even though I was getting small wins with clients, I wasn't stopping to celebrate those moments and appreciating how far I'd come and where I was. Instead, I was like, what's next, what's next? And I don't know, it's almost like burnout, but it wasn't quite burnout. It was more not appreciating the journey and enjoying it. It was rather, how do I get success and how do I get it quickly? And I think that's how I suffered uh, through mental health. Uh, In the beginning, my anxiety and stress came through and then eventually depression. And I I can tell you some bits about what I went through. So I can remember being at my desk in the morning after I had some breakfast, went for a run, came back, sat down on my desk. And I'm like, right now, who do I need to call? I'm looking at my CRM system. I'm about to pick up the phone. I'm like, no, they don't want to talk to me. Uh, Imposter syndrome. No, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You've only just started in this industry. You're not good enough. You're not going to make it. So I was having these internal battles with my inner critic and feeling I weren't good enough, I was a bit worthless. And I think that was because I was trying too hard and trying to do too much too quickly. And I suffered for two years, and I didn't tell a soul. At the same time, I was still winning business, thankfully. I was just doing what I could do in that time. Uh, But it it was a long, hard struggle. And I think running kept me sane during that period. I think between me starting my business at the end of, 2016 i think i was when i actually started running the business to about october 2018 um i that's that's when i suffered through my mental health journey i didn't say a word to anybody else i just kept it inside and then one day there was a guy called rob at track so as well as one them crew they got an offshoot called trackies so that's like a track club at mile end in uh, east london so we run there every thursday night and then afterwards we normally go to the pub for a drink just to celebrate and have fun and uh, around world mental health day 2018 robert posted something up on social media saying that he sometimes suffers from social anxiety and it's okay to be not okay so i read that uh, and i saw that post and i was like hmm. here i am 45 years old two years in hiding my feelings and how I'm feeling, suppressing all of this and hurting myself in the process where you got this young lad, he's out there telling the world how he's feeling. So I approached Rob and I said, hey, it's a great thing what you've done, that you've shared that and you know, you're helping to break that stigma down. I've been going through this for the last two years and it's hurt like hell. And if I'm going through this and this is you, how many more people are, are there in our community that probably – not talking about what they're going through, don't feel like they they can talk about it, or they don't feel comfortable. So that's how that was my, my mental health journey, and I don't know. I guess this is how Be More You was born as well. From from that point onwards, after I had that conversation with Rob,
0: I think that's a sort of great overview of like what's happened, and you know, I think a lot of people can relate to that in terms of you know feeling that anxiety, but you know wearing different masks for different situations to, to get through what they need to get through in that point of life and that point of the day. Uh, but I just really want to go back to and just try to understand, really, just the, the need, while you were asking a lot of yourself, the need to be uh, busy, uh, the need to succeed. Uh, and you touched upon about not feeling good enough. I mean, where do you think that core feeling stemmed from?
1: Yeah, I think it's trauma from a young age, um, and you know, part of the reason it's probably my dad. Uh, God bless his soul. You know, he passed passed in 2007. So when I was growing up, I was a bit of a terror in Hackney, doing things I shouldn't have been doing, I, and getting into trouble. And my dad always telling me, "You're never going to be good enough. You're a failure." Uh, and as a young kid, that's not what you want to hear. Uh, you, you want someone to put their arm around you and explain something to you. But, you know, my dad came from a village in Pakistan. He came over to, to London, you know, in, in the 60s and he was a laborer. Uh, so he had like manual jobs, you know, he wasn't that well educated. And, you know, he, he came from a school of hard knocks himself from his parents. He was one of eight brothers. Uh, he had eight kids himself. So there was four of us brothers, four sisters. So you know, he was always working, so when he got home and he heard you got into trouble, you know, he he, he went wild. Um And, you know, he obviously he knocked me about a bit as well. That was normal in, in the 80s. And then he told me I wasn't good enough, I was never going to make it. So I think that was sort of stuck in my head. I even had some issues at school and at college uh, before I eventually grew out of that sort of cycle. But I think it just stuck with me for a long time. And um I think that's Where innately I always want to do well and always want to succeed and always be great at what I do and I think it was partly due to I wanted to prove my dad wrong and say yeah I could make it and I did make it. Uh, Thankfully while he was still alive around 2006-2007 before he passed I was doing pretty well in the media game and he saw that and you know he appreciated how far I'd come so it wasn't, I'm not trying to blame my dad for everything but That was definitely a catalyst to, and it's probably made made me the man I am today, and I wouldn't change it, you know, in any way. I'm happy the way it's progressed, but in life, you know, there's there's a byproduct to everything, and I guess the byproduct of my childhood and uh, upbringing in Hackney and my family sort of situation, who they were in London, fast forward to where I am today, this is where I'm at, and this is this is how things work out sometimes in life, and nothing's nothing's a bed of roses.
0: And you talked about, you know, being successful in your career and that moment you had with your dad, obviously you don't have to go into detail what what was said and what happened, but did you feel that it could have brought you closure when you could turn around to him and say, like, look, dad, I am a success? Did you feel that you were enough at that point or did it sort of just still continue into other areas? Did you actually believe it?
1: Yeah, um, well, first of all, I didn't say to my dad, I'm a success. Um, I think he, he could see that. And my mum told me after my dad passed, he, he, she said... Yeah, to I mean, obviously,
0: not in the way you don't go, hey, look at me, I'm a success. But, I mean, in terms of just, like, the stuff that you were doing, the business, things like that.
1: Yeah, um, I think... Yeah, I think he appreciated it. He did appreciate it. He did tell me that I was doing well, you know, in, in the latter days of his life in the, in the last few years. Um, but, obviously, I always thought I wasn't good enough because he told me that for a long time. Uh, but then when he did pass, you know, my mum actually told me many times afterwards about all the good things he used to say about me and he goes if anyone's going to make it it's going to be him um maybe that was his way of teaching me you know like if I'm hard at your home it's going to be worse outside so you get used to this knocks that you're going to get outside because you're getting them at home it's going to be worse outside so you need to develop a strong skin and a strong will uh, to to do well so yeah and yeah I think even to this day it sticks with me that there's something there that I need to do well. Uh, but I, I've learned a lot. You know, Nowadays, I'm, I'm a different type of person. I'm, I'm 47 years old now. I, I meditate. I, I, I try to take things slow. You know, I've had my mental health experiences and issues. And yeah, every now and again, I still get stressed out and I need to calm down. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm stopped going to get stressed or get anxiety. I think I'm always going to have it every now and again. And it's just a matter of how I deal with it.
0: Yeah, it's like you're saying. You're aware of that part of your life, but you're aware of where you are today, and that's basically not those are two different places.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also it's a narrative, isn't it? It's like when I was having my mental health issues, like where they were quite sort of almost every day. Um, it was I didn't know how to deal with it, so that was the biggest problem. And I think part of not knowing how to deal was it was by not talking about it. So actually coming out and talking about it to my friends and to my family helped me deal with it but then I started educating myself on you know because I was in the industry of well-being so I'm coming in touch with psychologists uh counselors etc every other day you know through my work and I'm learning things through the the workshops we're doing for organizations and I'm learning how I can I can help myself through these sort of preventative measures and one of the things is like that inner critic in your head it's what part are they saying which is just repetitive that sounds like a broken record and that probably means it's not true and why don't I think with an open mind and something that's a bit more realistic and be more curious and accept that I have that inner critic talking to me but I don't have to accept what they're saying I, I can always look what, is, what else can be out there that's a bit more positive and nowadays I'm a bit much more in control of that because I've, I've done my reading and educated myself
0: I just want to move on to the next thing Um, what daily practices do you use to be more aware and manage your mental health?
1: Yeah, so I think it's been, I remember, around week nine now. Um, So I've practiced meditation before, like in sort of a bit here and a bit there. Uh, But I've been regular on the mindfulness for like eight, nine weeks now. Uh, So I try and practice a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes a day. So I was reading this journal recently and it said, practicing mindfulness for an average of 20 to 30 minutes a day it can significantly reduce your anxiety stress and depression scores and i was like aha well you know especially being in this sort of covid 19 situation which was like probably about a month in when i started this meditation on the 5th of april i still remember the date um i was like okay let me give this a shot because I'm, I'm getting a bit of anxiety and stress here because business had fallen off a cliff when COVID-19 struck in around mid-March. Um, so I was feeling a bit stressed and uncertain about my future you know, and my, my work. And so I, I, I just picked it up from there. And I found that 30 minutes, 20 minutes in the morning sets me up really well for the day. And then throughout the day, if I feel that anxiety coming back on, I can have another hit of it, like do another two minutes here or another five minutes there. Sometime before an an important meeting on the phone, I might do a 10 minutes just to get myself into that space so I'm ready and present in that moment for that meeting. So that's one of the things that I do. Um, The second thing that I do is I do a a gratitude uh, jar. So basically what that is, I just get an empty jar. Uh, Every day I write three things down on a scrap of paper uh what's what i i'm grateful for that has happened that day whether that's that sun shining in my face i've had a really nice lunch that i've cooked for myself or i've enjoyed a nice walk outside with my mum you know in, in the sunshine i write it down and i write the date down next to it so then when i am having that bad day i can just reach into that jar and pull out one or two of those notes and remind myself of all the things that i've got grateful got to be grateful for and i think there's something to be said about having an attitude for gratitude as well and actually speaking what you're grateful for so for example i'm grateful for being on this podcast with you today uh, to share my story and even with my friends like who i appreciate i appreciate my friends i will tell them that i appreciate them and i think just living by that and having that attitude really can enhance your your mental well-being
0: you've touched on some really great points there about the language that you use being so important and i really like the physical acts of writing the notes down and put them in, in into a jar because in this tech this uh digital world you know you can write something on a, on a note but it's not really the same as physically writing it and actually having to place it somewhere and then actually picking it up and looking at it again so i think that's a, an amazing thing and for me i don't know if you find this as well like if you prime your mind for gratitude or that kind of thing, you end up looking for it during the day, you look for things to be grateful for. Whereas if the other way you look for things that could go wrong, you will find things that go wrong.
1: Absolutely. I fully agree. Like, like I mentioned, you know, it's, it's about having that attitude for gratitude. So when you have that, yeah, you're definitely looking out for the good things and you're making those mental notes. And then, yeah, I, I, I'm ready in the evening to write down my, my three things.
0: Okay. So thank you for sharing your, um, some of the practice that you do daily, uh, but for people that are struggling uh, currently, uh, what sort of advice can you, what sort of tips can we go through to improve one's mental health and uh, just to help improve uh, the listener's mood where as required?
1: Yeah, I think each of us has a toolbox uh, that we can sort of reach into. And and in that toolbox, we can do the things that we enjoy. Um, before, Yeah, so... For example, when I, when I look at the things that I enjoy or what I'm curious about and, and what I'm good at. So I like to go for a walk. I like to go running, which I can't at the moment because I'm injured. Uh, maybe go for a cycle, um, cook myself a healthy meal, listen to some nice music, FaceTime a friend or family member. So I think it's looking at the things that you enjoy that give you something and knowing what those things are. And then there's things that you might be curious about, something you want to try that you haven't tried before. You know, so it's about reaching in to what, what you already know that you enjoy and then trying new things to see what's going to work for you. And, you know, some of that could be like that meditation, that gratitude uh, exercise, which I mentioned earlier. There's, there's so many things that you can do. And I think for each person, it's individual. It's not necessarily what's going to work for me is going to work for you or the next person. But because there's so much that we can do, there's definitely something out there for, for each person. It's just a matter of finding out what that is. And it's probably closer to you than you think it is. You've just got to tap into it.
0: I guess if I'm a bit more specific, in this current situation, there's a lot of uncertainty. And us as humans want certainty. So if you're looking at, for example, in races, there's a lot of anxiety about, will my race happen this year. When can I start training? When can I start preparing for it? Um, how do you... What advice could you give to someone out there who's kind of struggling with this... Uh, yeah uncertainty focus on things that they can't control uh, just to bring them more I guess bringing a bit more into the present and more grounded
1: yeah so there's a couple of things and I, I think like you mentioned there's things that we can control and then there's things that we can't control so you know what the government tells us to do we can't control what they tell us but we can do the things that they advise that are going to benefit us moving forward individually and as a society. So I think focusing on the things that we can do, however small they are, I think that's one important thing that we can do. And I think it's about looking at the bigger picture, uh, knowing that racing and running is not happening, but there's a reason for that. And it is for everyone to protect everyone. And when it's safe to do so, we'll be able to do that. But there's something that's much more important right now. That's the health of the nation and, and, and the people. So I think that's one thing to look at and I think it's also there's something uh, that I'd like to share with you actually. So I read a lot on positive psychology and there's this really creative and influential psychologist. And his name is Dr. Martin Seligman. He's from the States, from Pennsylvania. So he's like a co-creator of the positive psychology movement uh, along with Christopher Peterson. So I advise people to to look that up o- online if you want to learn more about this topic. and he says in order to be authentically happy and to have good well-being there's five core elements that you need to have in your life and you need to try and work on those so the acronym is PERMA p-e-r-m-a the p is basically positive emotions so doing the things that give you positive emotions that give you excitement and joy so what, what are those things that make help you lead a pleasant life so doing those things and then moving on to the AE, it's about engagement so being engaged in the things that you do so for example if I go out for a long run I'll get lost you know in the moment I'll be at one with the music I'm just in that zone so that's what I really enjoy for somebody else it, it might be playing that musical instrument they sort of get lost in that for someone else it might be playing with their kids and so on and so forth uh, and then the R is about relationships. So having positive relationships with people, building on those relationships and, and constantly revisiting those relationships and, and strengthening those. Um, so I think that's important too. Uh, and then that, that the next letter is M for meaning. So in your life, having a purpose, having a meaning, but this is something greater than the self. So it's not about you, it's about how can I serve others? Uh, and again, that could be you know your, your local community, that could be a humanitarian cause. It, it could be your work, depending on what type of line of work you're in. Uh, and again, it could be serving an elderly member of the family or your kids. So it's about having that, that purpose. And for some people, it could be religion, spirituality. You know, there, there's so much more out there. And then finally, it's about the A. And the A is about having a sense of accomplishment, achievement for, for the sake of that. So doing the things that you're good at. Uh, And having a mastery and a competency at something that makes you feel good within yourself. So all of those things can be achieved uh, by all of us. You know, there's no reason why we can't apply that PERMA model to our life. You know, doing the things that we enjoy, that make us feel good, that we're engaged in, that, you know, those positive relationships that make us feel great and included and a b- sense of belonging. And then achieving something uh, where we feel we, we you know, we have a sort of a mastery and a competency at something that makes us feel good within ourselves because we can do that. So that's what I'd like to share with you and your, and your listeners. And I hope that's really useful.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it gives people structure um, and gives people a sense of, things that they can control and look for uh to create those feelings and to create that just that kind of sense of wellness really i think that's important because it comes from the inside uh, before you see it uh you know in other forms so and also i'm just thinking about um something in terms of, a lot. there's things there, you know, which we can do for ourselves, but then there's obviously things that we can do for other people. I'm just thinking about what you talked about earlier in terms of what Charlie said as well about checking in on people. And I think before we started the conversation, I think we were talking about, um correct me if I'm wrong, is it a feeling index when you you ask you help someone how they're feeling and they give you like a rating? Do you want to sort of explain what that is?
1: Yeah, so, you know, Be More You, we haven't really touched on that too much at the moment. But so we basically are a group of runners. So I mentioned earlier about Rob. yeah, And, you know, when I explained to Rob that I've been going through these issues and we had a conversation about his and we created the the movement uh, Be More You. So people are probably wondering, what's this Be More You? So, you know, we're a group of runners that are passionate about community and mental health. And what we do is, our mission is basically to raise awareness for mental health within the running community and provide positive guidance. And the way we do that is through workshops, uh, doing shakeout runs with crews, uh, different uh, running events, and and going to sort of festivals like Love Trails Festival and putting on workshops and talks about mental health. But in addition to that, we create safe spaces. Uh, So it's basically a space where you can come as a runner uh, and generally, we do this within running communities so they can have it for themselves and you you know you can come as a member of that community, be your authentic self without a fair judgment or criticism. You can come to listen, be heard, or just be present to the moment, and you know in that space you'll learn skills to improve your mental well being as well as educate yourself to sort of self improvement you know to learn new skills uh, to enhance your sort of life. And, and your experience, uh, you know, in society. And one of the things we do at the beginning of that workshop is, so people aren't comfortable when you say, how are you, how are you doing? Generally, you're going to get a response as, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm good, or I'm not so good. But you're not really getting a lot of information unless you sort of maybe push further, but, you know, people sometimes aren't comfortable with that. So what we've developed is something called a wellbeing index. And that's where you ask a person, you know, in the group, and this is how we start off the session, it's, What's your well-being index? So that's a scale of 1 to 10. You choose a number to signify how you're feeling. And then we give them the opportunity to expand on that. So if someone was to ask me today, Sha, what's your well-being index and how are you today? I'd say I'm, a, I'm a probably a 7. Um, I was a, a bit lower earlier today, but I'm sort of from a 6-7. stroke seven, I've come, I'm a 7 now because I'm really enjoying the conversation with yourself tonight. And sort of telling my story but you know obviously the events of the weekend that we we sort of touched upon earlier um have really been heavy for me uh and and my friends family and and communities that that i'm part of and um today was probably a moment where i I sort of felt a bit better about it because i've sort of managed to work out some things that i could potentially do that are positive even done two workshops last night on the topic of you know injustice and inequality you know in the world with our our be more you community one in the states one over here in london uh so i've arrived at a seven i'm feeling pretty good right now um what's your well-being index marcus and, and how are you doing
0: do you know it's kind of similar to yours it sounds like a cop-out really i'd probably say it was about a six earlier today uh, because i was feeling optimistic to some extent but i was still feeling quite heavy with just all the recent news and uh, uh, some of the work I've done with podcasts and posting and things like that, it does feel a little bit heavy in terms of just having to kind of speak out about these things that I didn't necessarily think that, you know, I'd I'd use my voice to do so. And although it's important, it's heavy because um, as a parent, you want to leave the world in a better place than it was uh, before you got here because otherwise what would be the point to just be selfish um, so I think that's where that drive comes from, even when I'm feeling not a, a, as hot so much. But, you know, it's raised to a seven before speaking to you. I was speaking to other people and they ask how you're getting on. You ask how they're getting on. You know, you support each other. Then speaking to you, I think it's raised it to probably about a seven and a half for sure. So it's just good to get, you know, other people's experience and just learn about yourself really. So, um, yeah, I'd stay from a six to a seven and a half. At the moment.
1: Okay, that's great, and, and I'll just say, like, to the listeners out there as well, it's this is um, something you can use uh, on on the daily, like, you know, if you're going to go into a work meeting. You can ask everyone before you start the meeting, check in with one another to see where everyone's at. It gives you an opportunity to be empathetic towards one another, even if you're going to hit a Zoom call with some of your friends. And generally speaking, everyone's sort of talking over one another, and you might just want to say, "Look, before we start off, why don't we? Everyone just get an opportunity to do a little check-in, tell us what your wellbeing index is and how you're doing. You know, everyone gets a couple of minutes to do that, and then you just dive in four you know, with that freestyle conversation that you have. Uh, and I think it can be really helpful when. And maybe shine a light on some of the, the more quiet people in the group that are, are joining these chats or meetings, you know, at work, etc. So that that's my little one, another tip that I'll give today.
0: I think it's a great piece of advice because, like you say, when you ask someone, how, you, how are you? And they say, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, that doesn't really tell you anything. And having a rating system, you know, from zero to ten, you know, you get a better scale. If I tell you I'm a two, then you know it's not great. And that could still be fine or I can still say I'm fine at a six, do you know what I mean? So I think having that and going through that and is, is a much better way to um, make people feel heard and uh, just acknowledged, really, which I think we, we all need to, be honest, because we're humans and we need to connect with each other.
1: Yeah, and if you think about it, if you was, for example, on a Zoom call or in one of our workshops and someone hit on there were two, you know, you, you'd probably be a bit concerned, like, that's pretty low. And mm. maybe not during the call, you don't want to sort of put the heat on them. You, you know, maybe after that call, you might want to check in with them to say, hey, you know, I heard you were the two today. Is there anything I can do? Do you want to have a talk? So these are the things we can do. And you know, this is one of the things I learned, like I said, from Charlie. It's about checking in with people. You know, you might know someone's injured, for example, or if someone's saying there were two, you know, you, you need to be empathetic. You need to check in with people.
0: I you just don't know uh, what people are going through. And, you know, if you get a message from someone, they're going, how are you? It's quite a nice sort of, it's a nice feeling as well. And you sort of, you know, answer and ask them back as well. So it's definitely a two-way street. Yeah, I agree. You've mentioned the work that you've done with Be More U. Um, now You. There's obviously work happening in the uh, running community in terms of promoting mental health. But what extra work do you think needs to be done to better promote mental health awareness and just reduce the general stigma within the running community
1: um I think um you know there's a lot of work that can be done and you know first of all I said I'm not an expert on mental health obviously I've had my lived experience I've sort of work in the field um but I think you know if somebody asked me what I would do like you're you're asking me now I've you know, I'd have to think about that. But, you know, our mission at Be More You is, you know, our ultimate mission is to ensure that, you know, the running community, every running community worldwide, every runner has access to, you know, some advice or support for mental well-being. Um, and that's the idea. How do we do that? And obviously, my background is also working in wellness through my company. Um, and when I when I went through my mental health issue, I sort of within the running communities when I came out with it. And I was like, if I'm going to make a difference in society with this, I'll probably do it in the running community because it's more niche. I know people i have been in this community for a while and it's easier to do that. And I think definitely each runner needs to have access to the right advice for how to live a more positive life for their mental well-being and and getting that support that they might need. Especially in London and the UK, there are options out there, but a lot of people don't know about those options. You know, you've got things like Mind Health Charity, um, sorry, Mind Mental Health Charity, and you've got Calm as well. Um, And then obviously you've got Be More You, which we actually go around and do the rounds. And, you know, we're just like um, a social project. We don't, you know, we're not a charity as such or anything. We just do it from our heart. And there's about 12 of us at the moment that sort of run this project. Um, We're doing it because we care and we want to make a difference. And we're just trying to reach as many people as we can. And I think every running community has a responsibility, not just to have a space for people to go running, but to talk talk and have conversations about how they're feeling. So I guess what I'm trying to say also is running communities to have a space where people can have open conversations about how they're they're feeling and how they're doing. I think that's, that's the ultimate goal for us.
0: Absolutely. And it's like the technique you talked about of um, how you're feeling, translating work, translating running, translating to wider society. So uh, I think that's a, a great um, way to sort of approach things. And as you've spoken about, you know, uh, Be More You is, you know, the running side, but your actual business is um, the health and wellness business called uh, the, the wellness movement. Um, you've also done a lot of work within that field. Um, can you note know one sort of particular area of work that's really impacted you or inspired you?
1: Um, I think you know one of the things that I did, and when I did it, I surprised myself was when we launched a mental wellbeing network for Santander Bank, at their head office, in um, April 2018. That was basically a year and a half into me starting my business. And in my wildest dreams, I never thought that could happen. And the reason why it was important for me was because we went into an organization, we had over 100 people present in that meeting and we we spoke to them about how to be the best you, uh, you know, your mental well-being, and and how to understand the things that make you, you know, if you get anxiety, stress, how that comes about, what are the triggers, what are the sort of physiological feelings that you get and what are your behaviours and then how you can change those behaviours and tap into what I said earlier, tap into that toolbox that we all have. And the great thing about that, that launch that we did for them was we obviously speak to the audience afterwards and they were, they were just like, there were some tears in people's eyes and saying, we really need this. Um, and for me, it's about making a difference. Even if you make a difference for one person in that room when we do, we do the workshop, I just feel like I can sleep easy and like going back to my media days, it was great. It was fun. It was successful, but you know, I'd go to bed at night and I didn't feel like my life had meaning and purpose. But right now yeah. my life has meaning and purpose, both in my work, be more you and with the business that I do. So I think for me, that that's, that's what it is. It's about having meaning and purpose and making a difference.
0: Absolutely. And I know you've spoken about the, work you've done in in the workshops on a day-to-day basis but what's the long-term impact that you hope to have with the wellness movement
1: um i think i might have mentioned it earlier you know earlier in the conversation where the long-term impact is about you know enhancing the corporate lifestyle culture and environment within organizations try to humanize the workplace so that when people turn up to work they don't sort of go through going to work with a mask on and like right i'm here now and this is who i am because as humans we need to people talk about life life work balance i think it needs to be more life work integration because in both aspects at work and at home we're interacting with people so we need to find a way to interact or we we're, or we're interact with our screens so we do that at home and we do that at work so there's um There's tasks that we have to do at home and there's tasks that we have to do at work. So I don't think it's about a balance. Like, how do we integrate it? How can we just be that person? And I think right now with COVID-19, we have that because people, a lot of people are working from home now and then they have that not work-life balance but that integration. But of course, we have gotta be a bit cautious with that. You know what I'm saying here, because it's not, I'm not saying you should do both things simultaneously. What I'm saying is you should be allowed to be your authentic self. And if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. It's not, oh, I have to do all my work. But if you're having a bad day, how can you do all your work? You know, it shouldn't be that pressure. It should be more human, more understanding, more empathetic in the workplace, people understanding where each other is. So when I was talking about the wellbeing index and checking in with one another, like we do in the communities, I think in the workplace, we need to do that as well and make that change. And that's what I'm trying to, to deliver Uh, in the workplaces as well, because I'm actually leading workshops myself now, I've been in the industry for three and a half years, I've learned a lot, and I'm still learning every day, and I'm trying to make that change myself, by delivering workshops, similar to the ones we do with the Safe spaces that Be More You, so, so that colleagues can sit around the table, or online on Zoom, and talk about how they're feeling, without that fear of judgment, criticism, or you know, it's, it's 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 all confidential, no one's gonna use that information. And I think that's what the problem's been in the workplace in the past, and it still is to this day. It's a lot of stigma. If I talk about how I actually feel or what I'm going through, you know, maybe I'll be the scapegoat tomorrow if, if they're gonna if they're gonna lose some people in this in this organisation. And so we're trying to change some attitudes there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you say there's obviously a lot of work to do uh pre COVID nineteen in terms of just the way Work culture was, but even now, when you think about how it's changed and people are being forced to work from home, whereas that might not have been the traditional view of you know previous generations, it might like it might be seen as you're being lazy or you know weren't giving much effort. Well, actually, people are giving more if the same, but if not more, actually, from working from home, I, I believe. Um, but I guess one of the long-term impacts potentially is just how people deal with the I won't say loneliness because we're still connected digitally, but we're not connected. And, um, and I imagine that's probably a challenge that you're kind of uh, navigating through now in terms of like how you deliver that for your clients and and their staff. I mean, what's your sort of thoughts on how we navigate the future workplace?
1: Okay, that, that that's uh, quite a big question to ask me, um, <laughs> the future, because obviously we're still learning like where this sort of situation's taken taking us um, and you know, I don't have all the answers, I'll, I'll, I'll make that clear right now, but I think from a personal perspective of what I'd like to see is I'd like to see um, just more emphasis on being human at work um, and what would a workplace look like, what I'd like it to look like, I'd like it to be accepting that you know people will have a life outside work and sometimes they might need to attend to that life. Um, while they're that work so they, they might need to leave and and not not want to feel like they they have to just stick that whole day out when in their mind is that problem at home um, and I think it's about you know companies being more educated in terms of providing the necessary spaces for people to have these open conversations about mental health and don't get me wrong. A lot of work has been done, great work by, by charities, by organisations, by local government to sort of improve on the mental health. A lot more needs to be done, as we mentioned earlier in the conversation. And I think it's just been more empathetic towards uh, us humans and knowing that you know, work isn't everything for everyone. You know, They actually have a life that's important too. And it's like, how do we marry the two together to ensure there is that integration so they can be successful on both fronts? And like I said, I don't have all the answers uh, in that respect. But I guess if I was to make a prediction of how workplaces would be in the future, I think, I don't know, I, I guess maybe there'll be opportunities for people to work from home or from the office, you know, like you've got the work situations where people work from those yeah. um, co-working spaces. Maybe there'll be offices which are like co-working spaces. So if you've got 10,000 employees, maybe you've got 2,000 in, in one office, um, it might be certain people go to that office cert- on certain days, and others go on on certain days, and then otherwise you're working from home. So you you get that sort of a, a bit more of a, a balance, of maybe three days at home, two in the office, and, and vice versa.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think, like you say, no one really knows what's going to happen, but I think it's just interesting to sort of look at the, the shifts happening now, and I think it's uh, going to be a good thing, whatever happens, because Just because it's been done that way doesn't mean it's the best way. So uh, let's see what happens in the uh, subsequent months and years as uh, we move forward. Uh, Moving to the final questions. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Um, That's a pretty easy one. I think that's um, be patient with myself, uh, as, as we spoke about earlier a bit about wanting to get everything done today. Um, Yeah, just be more patient with myself, trust in the process, and everything is going to turn out okay. Okay, generally speaking, it does.
0: I thought you were going to go into like full Bob Marley mode there. Everything's (laughs) going to be all right to be honest, It was (laughs) was going that way. (laughs) Um, This next question, I appreciate that you've probably given us some tips before um, and you may have covered it, but... I just want to see if there's any other tips that you would you would sort of uh, suggest. So, this question is: What is one non-negotiable behavior that you do daily?
1: I eat breakfast. I always have to have breakfast to start my day. Um, it might not be. It is. It is a well-being tip because breakfast is the most important uh, meal of the day. Um, without that, you know, I, I can't start my day.
0: What is the biggest lesson that running has taught you?
1: It's taught me that nothing is impossible. You can achieve, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Because, I, you know, I've done a lot of difficult races. Um, last summer, I went to Chamonix and I've done the, the, the Marathon de Mont Blanc, uh, which was, 42.2k it says but i ended up running about 45k um and yeah it was hell uh but perseverance all my training that i did uh i was even crying towards the end on the last side of the race i wanted to give up and just check it all in but i stuck with it and i just told myself you can do this you've got this and and I think with everything I've learned as well with the running community and the support, you know, I've had from them in, in my training and just every day being part of that community, I think that, that helped me get there as well. But, yeah, I think not, nothing is impossible. And I, and I did I did finish it, obviously, and I got my medal, and it was a tough race. My toughest race ever was Le Chambon. It was searing down with some crazy heat that day as well. But I made it, and then, yeah.
0: I like that. I mean, it, it shows you running, like, like you said, it just reveals your strengths, like you said, nothing's impossible. Uh, gives you that little bit of confidence and you can take that uh, little bit of strength and add it into other areas of your life and just keep building.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, like in life, when with skills that you've got, with education that you have, um, I think you can apply, you know, your knowledge and your skills in different aspects of your life. It's all transferable. You know, and when people say I'm pigeonholed, I'm this, you're not. You know, if you're good at something, you've got your signature strengths, whatever they might be, you can use those to your advantage, you know. Um, you know, I think my, my signature strength is things like kindness, uh, curiosity. Um, yeah, they're the things that sort of carry me forward as well. Um, so it's about about finding out what ticks for you, what works for you and applying that
0: it's interesting, obviously, like listening to how you came up, um, you know, you had a bit of a challenging life as well, but it, you've turned that around and to actually be so just just wanting to help other people. And I think, you know, yeah. it's interesting how other people can do that from challenging childhoods as well. Sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say one one of the best things that you can do is um, is to be selfish. And the way to do that is by serving others, because the reward you get from that, you know, it's, you can't, you can't count it. It's just, it's that feeling, it's that feeling you get from helping others. And that's why I do it. I do it to help others and, and I want to, I want to make a difference. And then both of those things make me feel good.
0: Absolutely. It's been a great conversation we've spoken about, a little bit about running, but just more so about life. And uh, this is what I was hoping the conversation would be like. So Sean, it's been great talking to you. And the final question, where can people uh, follow your journey online and find out more about your business and you know, the running community that you set up?
1: Sure thing. Yeah, uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you very much. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope the listeners enjoy it too and they can take something away that they can apply you know, in their everyday lives too. Um, if you want to find out more about Be More You, um, um, just check us out on Instagram. It's bemore.u. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Be More You Community. And if you want to find out about my business, The Wellness Movement, just check us out online. We've got a website or on Instagram. It's The Wellness Movement. Um, yeah, and it's been a pleasure. Again, um, Marcus, and really appreciate you inviting me on your show.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash life If you want to get in touch with me or see what I'm up to, you can follow me on my Instagram page at themarathonmarkers Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.